Welcome to the third series of the Coffee and Conversation podcast, the podcast that celebrates great people making amazing things happen. As with the first two series, this podcast provides a space for some fabulous people to share their stories and find a voice within our ever-changing world. This third series is presented under the working title of Get On With It, in recognition of the second Creative Bravery Festival taking place later this year. I have so much gratitude for all the Creative Bravery Collective and the Campfire crew who continue to meet twice weekly in our brilliant virtual space. This series is for all of you and aims to celebrate some of the simply awesome people within this network who continue to do amazing things every single day. Happy listening. My guest today is Gillian Judson, an innovative educator who believes that worms never get bored and birdsong is never ordinary. With a passion for ecological or place-based learning, Gillian advocates that mathematical, scientific and historical concepts are best learned within the context of the hopes, fears and passions of those who develop them. She also believes that the semicolon, colon, exclamation mark and interbarang are unsung heroes and deserve our utmost respect. Most of all, Gillian believes teaching is storytelling and that the curriculum offers us many opportunities to experience this wonderful world. Welcome to this week's edition of the Coffee and Conversation podcast. Uh, today we are, is, is it transatlantic? This is my test in my geography. So uh, today my guest is Gillian, who is in Canada. I somewhere. am, but I'm on the West Coast. Oh, so right far side. I'm on the Pacific Ocean. Oh, um, wow. So and I live on, on the unceded territories of the Kwatlin, Keitsi, and Semiamu First Nations people. But on a map, you would typically think it is, of it as Vancouver, just outside oh, yeah. of Vancouver. So we are about eight hours behind you. So you're uh-huh. getting ready for dinner, and I'm having my first bit of caffeine. Well, I have to say, I, have, I do have a coffee. So hmm. well, this is my last coffee Good. of the day to share with your first coffee. Perfect. So yeah, and, and our paths of so we've never this is our first conversation uh, yeah. as a one-to-one conversation. Our paths have crossed through the Canadian Network of Imagination. Is that yeah. right? Canadian Network of Imagination and Creativity, Scenic. Yeah. Uh, which I am one of the founders board members. Um it's a great organization and we are having these idea jams, uh, which you've been to, and I hope others consider going and checking out really neat opportunity to get together and, and chat about what is possible once a month on a Thursday. Yeah. So or, it's this, and um, yeah, well, we're recording this on the Tuesday and it's actually the Thursday of this week, the 21st. Does it? Yes, this will go out next week. So in retrospect, we can go to that was next great. Month, next month. I'm hosting one in December. So maybe uh, people can come and talk on, about that one. It's about how we have to talk about feeling. We have to talk about feeling in, in education and other aspects of our lives even though we're maybe not comfortable about it, um, it's at the heart of all imagination. So that's my topic. Oh, well, I definitely know some people. Yeah. I definitely know some people who will be interested. Lorna and Sophie, if you're listening, that definitely sounds up your street. And Claire. So there you go. Now I've named you, you have to come. <laughs> cool. So um, as ever, we will start with your quote and then we will just see where that leads us and, yeah, enjoy this conversation. So... My quote comes from a little book I wrote, um, and it is, this is the quote. Through walking, we can enrich our students' sense-making abilities. We can enrich their very being, and and as we go, we can seed with meaning the context in which they spend so many hours learning. Wow, so much. So tell us a bit more about why, well, what what does that quote mean to you, and, and kind of why have you 
brought it with you? Well, I've been if starting in 2004 um, with my doc, the beginnings of my doctoral studies, it's when I started to really investigate you know, what is required to educate for something we might call ecological understanding. There's different terms for that. Ecological literacy, ecological consciousness, ecological awareness. They're all, they are all slightly different, but ecological understanding, the term I chose to use, um, it refers to that sense of really understanding our connectedness within a living world, our embeddedness within a living world. And then not only having that knowledge, but be having the emotional connection and the motivation to live differently. So how do we educate for that in urban environments, in suburban environments? And at that time, I was a high school teacher at a urban school. It was called considered a very rough school, but it was a great school. Those students blew me away every single day, but they were emotionally disaffected with the natural world. Um, and in one of my previous books, I have uh, an account of a child uh, who was really couldn't be bothered recycling. And it was a minor thing. This was a top A student who went on to university with scholarships. But like, what's it got to do with me? Like complete disaffection with environmental issues other than but it being able to describe like global warming. So that led me into this question of what do we need to do to cultivate ecological understanding? And many years later um, comes this little self-published book where um, I talk about how do we move learning outside with inquiry and with a pedagogy that's driven with a, by imagination. And so that is where that quote comes from. Wow. I love, there's so many things sparking in my head right now. What, one of which is um, I'm going to visit a primary school in a few weeks, um, just north of me in Scotland, Grantley. And through the pandemic, they've shifted so much of their curriculum, so much of their learning is outside. So I'm kind of like, oh, this is, there's some real connection here that I'm talking to you today. And then actually yeah. I'm going to go and see some stuff in action in a few weeks, which feels exciting. There's, I feel like, well, there's been a definite interest in the walking curriculum during the pandemic. And I'm going to be very curious to see that once for germ reasons, people don't want to be outside, whether they remain outside. I think one of the barriers for people that do outdoor education is that um, there's a misconception among educators that you need to have a biology degree or an ecology degree, or you need to be a good gardener or, um, you know, an arborist, whatever. And that just isn't the case. So my work um, is really for those educators that would like to blow out the walls of the classroom and incorporate outdoor learning in their pedagogy in such a way that what they're learning and doing outdoors augments, enriches, expands what they do indoors. So it's really for all educators that want to take learning outside because they like being outside because they see it's beneficial to the well-being of their students, because they're concerned about ecological issues, because they also notice that their students are disaffected or don't have connection to natural, local, cultural contexts or places. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of reasons for going outside. And I'm, I'm curious about the ones for Scotland there. Probably germs is one reason, but there's a big move for outdoor learning in Scotland. It's fantastic what's happening. And I think, the, you know, one of the challenges is, as ever, the weather. Um, and yet there's been some really, there feels like there's been some really innovative approaches. Like I saw one tweet from um, somebody who I've, who's been on the podcast, actually, in terms of, you know, what if, what if we just, what if school uniform was waterproof jacket and waterproof trousers and wellies? You know, would that, would that change the way we looked at things and maybe take a bit of the weather out of an issue? I think, 
being a Canadian, um, I don't know how cold it gets. I mean, it's cold when the rain is coming down sideways in Scotland. It doesn't get your cold. It doesn't get your cold. (laughs) No, it's not like Winterpeg, you know, Winnipeg in the center of the the province or the country. Um, So on the West Coast of Canada, we have something called West Coast recess. It just means kids are outside, whether it's raining or not, because it rains a lot in Vancouver. Um, But I think it isn't, I know this has been said by others, but it is really a a question of bad clothing rather than bad weather. Because if you're equipped for the rain, there's so much you can do outdoors. And the outdoors is different in the rain. And it's different just after a rain. And part of what the walking curriculum is about is really expanding students' abilities to be attentive to place, to notice things they've not noticed before, to sort of blow out the blinders that help us function on a daily basis and get rid of the mindset that says it's just a schoolyard and really look for the wonder in the places that we're in on a daily basis. So I would hope that students could yes, have a rain jacket and boots and do that in different weathers. Mm. And I think that, you know, what I'm thinking about when you talk is it's that awareness and that noticing that feels even more important now as we're sort of coming out of pandemic life and have been locked down and there's, um, you know, the sort of getting, there's the cycle. I listened to a podcast, Brené Brown and Amy Cuddy talked about this cycle of, um, I can't remember recovery and regression and emergent, you know, emergency and almost like we're we're in that kind of regression period now where things are quite uncertain. So it feels like that awareness and noticing and stopping and slowing down and connecting with our environment, well, connecting with people and connecting with our environment wherever that may be, feels quite important for a lot of not just young people and schools, but actually how do we all do that and just look yeah. look up sometimes rather than. Don't you think this would be a lovely segue into talking about everyday leadership? <laughs> oh, now you've turned it round. <laughs> I think noticing is, I'm, I'm also interested very much in, uh, interested in leadership. It's, I'm an assistant professor in educational leadership here at SFU. And um, know that the, the, the idea of noticing is one that is very profound. And it's that you can't notice without imagination. If I had to say one thing that's at the heart of all of the work that I've done in whatever area, it is always about how do we better understand the role of imagination in our lives? How do we then bring it um, into conversation in ways that give it the credit it's due? Um, And this really much involves um, getting rid of some of the ways we talk about imagination that leave it on the sidelines, like if we always talk about imagination as up in the air and childhood fantasy play and, and arts artists, I mean, it's all of those things, but it is also in my mind, very much the soil out of which all of these things grow. So I've started to try to talk about imagination as soil because in many ways, it's very, it's a very powerful metaphor. And I think the leadership imagination is equally rooted there. I don't think we're going to talk about that today, but noticing requires us to have the ability to um, emotionally connect to our own stories and then to appreciate the what Taylor would say the imaginaries of others and um, anyway no, I go on I go on, on. Uh, I love it and I think you know that imagine almost I see a lot of a lot of um, bits of the work that I'm sort of involved in and with people one of the you know we get so siloed and sucked into what we know and what we've experienced and that ability to look beyond, I, I, call, I call it, you know, the ability to look beyond the obvious and say, well, what else could it be? Instead of jumping into our conclusions. And I think actually imagination has such a, you know, to be able to kind of say, okay, well, I, we see, we notice this happening. Hmm, why could that be? 
mm-hmm. rather than just right. jump, jumping to the what we know and well it must be this and this must be the solution being right. able to take take that time to see well okay do we actually really understand what's going on here and if we take time to explore that then maybe it opens up a whole host of new possibilities that absolutely we know about. Exactly. And I think one thing we that um, a mentor, amazing person I worked with here at Simon Fraser University was Dr. Kieran Egan. And he's very well known for his work on teaching as storytelling. And he was just a trailblazer in terms of um, showing the practical ways in which imagination grows. And he his work is sort of reflects a Vygotskyan perspective, I guess, in the sense that he, he notices within the different forms of language we use, oral language, written language, theoretical language, we have these cognitive tools that help us to think and remember. And by using them, we actually can engage and grow and enhance imagination. So th- there's practical ways that we can better cultivate imagination in our all of our learning, all of our schools, so that when we are faced with a situation like you say there, you know, what else could we do here? We have the tools of imagination ready for us. Unfortunately, we're not always foregrounding those tools of imagination in the ways people are learning. Mm-hmm. So that's part of my work is what does it mean to have an imagination-focused pedagogy in post-secondary or high school geometry or physics or whatever it might be. In this case, that book I quoted from is how do we use those cognitive tools outside with inquiry-focused walks? But the same tools are very important for leadership because these are the tools that can help us understand what is, understand what could be, build and grow ethical communities. And also as a leader, how do we engage those around us? How do we make our messages meaningful? So how are we storytellers? Mm. So these are all tool, very powerful tools. So the imagination piece is um, definitely something that I think is at the heart of this no, this notion of noticing. And that's, mm. I wasn't on a tangent. I was going to bring it back. To oh, and I, yeah. And I can't help, you know, I feel like it, I'm almost wondering, it's about reframing imagination is almost like you said earlier, it's not just something that, you know, is fantasy and kids and that kind of stuff. It's actually imagination yeah. is a, almost a skill. And therefore, if it's a skill, it can be enhanced and developed and we can practice it and use it. So maybe, you know, that's a bit of a reframing. That- oh, 100 that I, one of the reasons I like to talk about imagination as soil, and I, I recently published a piece on it, is because it needs to be cultivated. That's why educators have such a powerful role. And cognitive tools can help cultivate the imagination, just like soil. We can increase its fertility um, with by in certain conditions and by using certain tools so it's definitely some people call it a muscle but you have to use the imagination to keep it strong definitely and so tell me a bit more about you've mentioned the walking curriculum and kind of that you know where did where did that come from and you know how's it gone from kind of being an idea to how's it gone from being an idea to something that people are actively you know on twitter it feels like there's loads of people signing up and oh it's so exciting yeah i mean when i first shared to put out the resource in 2018, we had a 30 day walking curriculum challenge. We had 50 teachers who committed to doing a different imagination inquiry focused walk every day for 30 days. This year we had nearly a thousand, a thousand. I was so excited. And so um, that was super fun. But anyway, it started with my research question that I shared, like what is required to cultivate ecological understanding for all learners. And I'm not talking about a new program. I'm talking about how do we educate in a way that is more ecological and more imaginative? Because what I learned through that research, and this was my doctoral research, is that the moments that most influence our lives, engage our emotions, 
imaginations and our bodies in place. Mm -hmm. And those are the moments that most influence our sense of ecological understanding. And so through that research, I realized there's kind of three components to an imaginative and ecological approach. So an approach that engages and grows imagination in all topics, but it also draws attention to our connectedness. And so the first principle is feeling. So this is a cognitive tools approach to teaching. This is very much how do we bring emotional and imaginative engagement to the beginning, middle and end of our planning as educators, which isn't typical because we typically take a more rational approach, you know, objectives bridge driven, which isn't make any sense with imaginative being. So anyway, Feeling is one principle that's part of the walking curriculum. The other piece is activeness. And this is a term that comes from deep ecologist, Arne Nace. He says we, our bodies or we encounter the world in two different ways. One is being active, running, jumping, playing. We want to be in a park because we want to be active out there. And a lot of the instrumental arguments for saving nature come from that. But he says... We also um, have an immersive internal kind of relationship if we slow down and if we pause. And that's when we can sort of viscerally feel our connection to the natural world. So how can we draw attention to the body's engagement in the world? That's activeness. So that's the second principle. And But those two principles alone aren't enough to cultivate ecological understanding. The third is very much a place-focused a meaningful place-focused approach where we're really connecting with and engaging with the natural and cultural context in which we live. So this is where I really want to pause. Um, I'm a white, Western-educated person who did work with incredibly interesting um, scholars within a Western tradition that talk about place-focused um, learning and in ecological types of pedagogies. And this is like a sliver within the tradition of Western pedagogy. So what, what, what I'm doing now is part of my ongoing learning. And I think what we all need to do is look to indigenous pedagogies where place and land have always been at the heart of understanding. And what indigenous pedagogies are diverse and they're rich. But one thing I believe they have in common is this very much land focused way of understanding the world and also the land and places at the heart of all pedagogy. So part of my work now is to take um, the great things I've learned from my um, Western educated mentors and sort of bridge it to what we can learn about land and place from, from our Indigenous colleagues. And so that's the third principle. And the three principles come together in an approach called imaginative ecological education. I was very excited to publish a pretty theoretical book on it, um, Peter and Lang, way back in the day. And I think my mom's the only one who bought that. Like, <laughs> Moms buy everything, don't they? Right. And so that wasn't very helpful in doing what I want to do, which is to have educators employ these ideas. So then I had an opportunity to work on a really cool project here in BC where it's a fully outdoor school. There are no walls. It's K-7. There, there's no just going out once in a while there is no building and so wow. how would you teach a kid to read there how would you enhance someone's ability to read that already reads in you know we're not saying you don't have books out there but how can we develop literacy by connecting with the natural world as well so I have a second book uh, published through UBC Press which is it, it's much more focused on the how to use the principles but it was still wasn't enough I wasn't I wasn't having people just simply take their fraction lesson outside with an imagination-focused, place-focused approach. So that's where the walking curriculum comes from. It was a series of posts, sort of how do you take your social studies, math, whatever, outside, and then it became 15, 20, there's 60 
uh, different inquiry-focused uh, walks in the resource. And it, it's very thin on theory. It just says, if you want to know where these ideas are coming from, if you want to know why a story helps us learn, if you want to know why using metaphor helps us learn and how, why it helps grow imagination, then look at these other things. But that's where the walking curriculum came from. So it's an, it's an example of imaginative eco-ed or IEE pedagogy. Amazing. And I love, I love that, I, you know, this series is under the banner of Get On With It. Um, connected to the Creative Bravery awesome. Festival that was a couple of years and um, a couple of weeks ago, and that totally feels like it kind of um, it, yeah exemplifies that in terms of look here's some theory we know you know I know this works I know there's something in here but actually it needs to be used <laughs> how do we yeah. get it in there how do we get people doing it and yeah I, I love that idea I really really love that idea and yeah it's exciting and I kind of look at that and think actually from a leadership perspective there's some really you know how what would that look like you know what would a, a walking leadership program look like on the basis of because place you could play on that being your organization or your your community space that you're in or you know depending on where you you work you know you are and really understanding kind of how stuff works and, and engrossing yourself in that to actually notice what's going on because often you know we think we're seeing what happens but we're not really with that blinkers that that blinker view you Back talked about to the noticing right yeah right no I can see how in in the walking curriculum the idea is you know how much more would the students notice in a schoolyard and and this mm. this isn't meant to be taken to far off field trips it's meant to be done in schoolyards right there how much more would they notice about that that local place if they investigate it with sixty different lenses on every time they're looking for something different um, and so. For example, one of the walks is, I'm just randomly opening up, um, hiding places walk. What good hiding places can you find? First think about hiding place for yourself, then identify a good hiding place for a raccoon, a mouse or a spider. And then it uses a uh, cognitive tool, which is potential op oppositions. And it says a giant life and death drama of hide and go seek is going on right now all around you. I identify things that you think always try to hide. Why do they hide? Where's the hide? Who are the hiders? Who are the prey and on so-and-so? Um, so increasing your awareness. Now, if we go back to leadership there, there could be a, the idea of walking metaphorically through an organization and, and noticing and increasing one's awareness of what's going on could certainly help us understand the stories of the organizations we're in. Mm -hmm. But one thing I'm doing now within, I'm working within an educational leadership master's program is I'm running an interesting course. It's an arts-based uh, approach. It uses a pedagogy called performative inquiry, which is developed by a colleague of mine here at Simon Fraser University named Dr. Lynn Fells. And it's about how do we, um, move through a course with our emotions alert and then notice those stop moments, those tugs on the sleeve moments where we're called to attention. And then as we journey through this, I'm pushing them to really explore their, the shape of their imaginative lives, the train of their imaginative lives. Like what kind of imaginations do they have? Are they comfortable telling stories, but uncomfortable drawing? Like, how do we know our own imaginations? I think we have to walk through that terrain as leaders to understand what kind of the ways in which we'll use imagination then with others. You can't, I don't think you can embark engaging imagination with others until you understand the shape of your own imaginative life. So the idea of walking has multiple layers there, I think. Definitely. And, and you know, what you just said in terms of you not being able to walk through somebody else's imagination until you understand your own, that absolutely aligns with, 
you know, my view and the authentic leadership, you know, perspective, which talks about the the power, you know, one of the themes that came out of my research was these, you know, great leaders who aren't the people, you know, with influence, authority and power, they're all of us, is that they really fundamentally knew who they were. So they had a real sense of this is important to me, this matters, this is, and and actually that's the, you know, that that's the central part really. And, you know, the great leaders that I look around and see, which again, are people, you know, going back to your, um, your A-grade student who didn't really understand or didn't really care about recycling. Actually, that first step is kind of having the belief that actually by doing really small things every day consistently, I can make a difference. Yes. And, and, that, and you know, that there's something about understanding self and understanding the environment in which you work and the others around you to be able to create the connection again that, that you talked about pretty early on with you know it, from an ecological perspective mm-hmm. so yeah I'm seeing lots of connections me too my mind is buzzing <laughs> I know the, these these conversations always kind of they start and you never know where they're gonna end up but I know I mean I'm definitely the type of per- person whose brain kind of it's like popping candy just like <laughs> or little bits little bits of popcorn that are starting to explode I love it <laughs> so in terms so what you know in terms of you know your own passion for you use the term ecological understanding you know where where's your love of the outdoors the outside you know nature come from i i feel so fortunate to have grown up in an area called saanich outside of victoria so victoria is on an island off the coast of western canada it's on it's confusing. Victoria is on Vancouver Island and the city of Vancouver is not on Vancouver Island. But. I have been to Vancouver oh. and, and Vancouver Island up to Botany Wonderful. Bay. Is that, that's on Botany yeah. Bay. So, yeah. so it's beautiful. So I, I grew up, I was really fortunate to live in a very rural area. We had acreage and I, I think I fell in love with our beautiful trees at a, at a young age. I remember having the ability to just we, we, you know, a lot of my imaginary play as a young child was outdoors. And I, I didn't realize that I had this affinity for our beauty trees until only maybe 10 years ago. My parents, you know, they're cleaning stuff out and they couldn't believe it. They wanted to get rid of my schoolwork from grade five. How dare they? And they wanted to get rid of that box of beautiful spelling oh, tests. Disgraceful. Anyway, so I can't believe it. I was hurt. So they gave me the box and I was going through it, but I was surprised to find that on most of my books, I was doodling, I was drawing Arbutus trees. I was writing poetry about Arbutus trees. I have a legend I wrote about Arbutus trees. I had a picture in there about Arbutus trees. I was fascinated by Arbutus trees and I, and I had forgotten that. Wow. Um, and you can't, they're, they're not everywhere in BC. There's little, there's all, they're on the island and there's a few other patches of them, um, other places in outside of Vancouver, but I think it was growing up there. And then my parents were very much ecologically conscious. My dad, he worked for BC Hydro, but he was the person that was drawing more and more attention to environmental issues at the time. And he was sort of a spokesperson at the time. So we were raised to appreciate it. I had a lot of opportunity to be out and explore in nature. And I mean, research does show that those people that have an environmental ethic, that have a, a, a consciousness or an awareness or a desire to live differently, they tend to have formative experiences as younger people. Um, that's why I think it's so important that uh, primary teachers, elementary school teachers, you have an opportunity there to support 
connections with the natural world, even if it's in rural or sorry, suburban or urban parks. Mm. There's wildness everywhere around us, as Rachel Carson would say. And if we can have one adult that opens our eyes to that wonder, it can have a profound impact. Mm. So I think that's where it started for me, um, was growing up in that environment and having an opportunity to play. Mm. And that's another word, play, that feels like it's an important part of you know, imagination and play and the ability and, you know, when, you know, often I have conversations with people and go, when did we lose the ability as grownups to play? Or, you know, who, who, what, at what age did somebody tell us that it wasn't okay to play anymore? And it's, you know, actually play feels such an, play and imagination feel quite closely connected in a lot of ways. And the ability to make your own stories up and see the what ifs and, you know, look at that ability that kids and puppies I'm learning to have to look at a cardboard box and kind of go, Oh, there's endless possibilities there. Whereas we go, well, it's a cardboard box. Yeah. So how do we lose our ability? Yeah, no, I agree with you. And I, and some of what I've been thinking about as well is how do we bring play back to the heart of the post-secondary learning environment? And the course I mentioned earlier with my leaders, it's, it's about playing. And I've said, we we're going to play with all kinds of different media and, and I'm asking us to draw and I am not a trained artist. I'm going to ask us to paint. I am not a painter, but we're going to play with colors and ideas. And we're going to notice what we, what we feel when we do that. I also noticed that I've got light coming across my face and I've got stripes on my face from my sunny day here in Vancouver. I know. I was thinking, oh, it's like a filter that I put on my face. It, it also, I'm, I'm quite jealous because I've got my light on because it's, I look out and actually it's a, it's like a gray kind of cloudy day, but I can see the. But it's not quite. These are. This is brilliant. I'm just going to fix the blind. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm seeing as I'm looking out, and I'm seeing like I can just see the top of the tree and the leaves, which in you know that's we've got real autumn colours. So there's browns and greens and all sorts of things. So I'm kind of like, oh, I'm noticing stuff because I maybe wouldn't have looked out of the window and lo- noticed the different colours on the tree and how it's moving in the wind. So there you go. You'll have to go outside after this. Well, I have to take my little pup, little doggy for a little walk. So we Aww. will go. I will go out and and actually, you now interestingly, I've noticed that having a puppy walking, I'm I'm walking differently. So I'm quite a person who oh, yeah, walks yes. quite quickly, but they stop quite a lot and sniff. So actually, right, like a young child, young child, you're yeah. you're slowing down. Your noticing is is sort of going to be brought to the same level as the pup. Definitely. And I'm like, well, what are you eating there? So sometimes it might be as simple as, yeah, you maybe shouldn't eat that. But equally, it's like, oh, that's a beautiful colour. Oh, I haven't noticed that those berries were that particular colour or something, you know. So there is a, there is a it, yeah, it does add a different dimension to, to walking and noticing. Yes, sure. We've come back to that noticing idea, which, yeah. And I mean, I think we're coming to, towards the end of um, the, this this sort of initial 30 minutes I feel like we could sit and talk leadership ecological systems of all sorts of things and and it would actually be really you know I'm there's bits of um, work that I'm um, planning with a couple of um, friends and you know we're looking at exploring leadership in a very different way and trying to almost bring the humanness back to or put human well I would love to invite you if if you would like to you said talked about how you thought that noticing was at the heart and imagination at the heart of your authentic leadership or your everyday leadership that you did your doctoral work in if you want to write a little bit about that I would love to share that on imagine ed which is my website where I try to share as much imagination focused pedagogy and work as I can and there's a section on there on imagination in leadership 
So I would love it if you wanted to expand a little bit with the, the word imagination at the the heart of it. I don't know if you've written specifically about imagination before, but I feel like it, there's a place there. Definitely. And if you like it, blogs are fun, 500, 800 words, you know? That's a, yes, that sounds definitely like it would be fun. Um, so I will, yes, a challenge accepted. Yay! <laughs> so I, yeah, I'll get thinking about it. And I think, you know, what, I, what I've really heard coming out of this conversation is obviously the importance of imagination and I've included um your so if you listen if everybody listens to the end I've included a link to your website so people can follow up Thank and you. look at look at the amazing stuff that's on there um yeah you know imagination but actually it's about how it's about reframing what that is and helping us all realize that imagination can be nurtured like the soil and you know it can't you know we need to look after it cultivate it and really um yeah open our minds I suppose to what is possible um through looking at things through maybe 60 different lenses on a walk and you know really just finding ways to do that through and I often say in terms of you know it's like you say to somebody oh just think differently but that's so hard to do if you don't know how and you know the, the steps and the guidance that you're putting in place which is based on you know really thorough robust research and translate and yet you're translating into a really practical tool process whatever you yeah. know the, the walking curriculum to be able to say to people actually look here's a here's a new way here's a way of, of doing something and have a go well that's definitely what i would like people to consider like just explore it we've forgotten that we are imaginative beings um and just to um add to what you said you know saying to somebody think differently that's hard to do, but it's especially hard if you are in a climate that doesn't value differing, doing things differently. And if you are penalized for making a mistake or trying something that doesn't work. Absolutely. So we, we have to, um, in terms of pedagogies, little ones all the way up to adults, we have to remember that we are emotional and imaginative beings. We never stop being that. So some of the pedagogies we have in place are completely inappropriate and ineffective mm. for for humans who perfink, and that's my handle on Twitter at perfinker. Uh, I was wondering where that had come from. Yeah, so there so we go. Term, that's a term by David uh, Kresh. He's a psychologist in the U.S., and he, he said human beings never just think; they perceive and they feel and they think. And at the heart is feeling. Mm. So, so droning on in a lecture is not going to help our learners. Now, I'm not saying. Um, standing at the front talking to learners won't be effective but are you using because I've had some um, lecturing at university that has been amazing because the person is telling me that they're shaping the content in a way that taps into my emotional and imaginative life they're storytelling so how are we creating hands-on activities or even uh, delivering lessons in ways that are story-like and that's one of the messages. And then how do we create an environment where more people are talking more often about imagination? Because from my preliminary research in leadership, imagination makes people uncomfortable in leadership. We fear it and we revere it. We fear it for ourselves. We value it in others. We don't want to put our necks out there necessarily. Um, somebody that we all need to read more is Rob Hopkins. Uh, uh, you may know his work. 
um, from what is to what if uh, his brilliant book, he's uh, in the UK there. He's just saying, what if we put imagination first in different environments? Well, I'm, I'm with him on this journey, but we have to get people understanding that in fact, it's the soil underneath all of our feet. It informs our own storytelling. It informs the cultural stories we share. It informs my ability to support a friend in their time of need. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's all around us. And yet we've put imagination in a place in our culture that we feel it, we've sort of boxed it in and we're now not nurturing it in everyday life. So we need to be a little bit more playful. We need to be willing to make mistakes and we need organizations that allow that. So there's lots can happen. And you writing a post for ImagineEd will help us get there. There we go. There's a, and, and, again, and, and again, this is under the hashtag, get on with it. So it feels like there's another, there's another example of, right, let's just do it and see what happens. Um, yeah, I love that idea. Love right? it. Just do it. See where we go. So look, thank you so much for your time. Um, I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. And I kind of feel like this conversation is going to keep going um, because there's so much in there that I'm, curi- I'm curious about and yeah want to learn more about um but yeah thank you for your time and i just i suppose the quote that's in my head as you've just talked about feelings and emotions that is the mayor angelou quote that and i i won't get it word for word but people will forget what you say forget what you did but they'll remember how they how they made you feel and i think that is so important. so important so this is what i say to the math teachers that i work with how do those students feel about fractions they need to feel something about those fractions. They don't just need to hate them because they don't want to do another worksheet, but do they, are they really, do they feel something for the aesthetic nature of a fraction? Do they feel something for the thrift of a fraction? Like what is it about a fraction? And you know, one little last plug is um, Bill Bryson is a phenomenal writer who wrote a short history of nearly everything and all other kinds of books, but he's very good at pulling out the sort of quality of something. So you, you want to tell the person next to you on the bus just how amazing an atom is because you've read a book which really draws out the imaginative nature of everything. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the world is wonderful and we just need to really stop and acknowledge that. And so there's lots of ways to do it. So I hope people look up the website and, and start to think more about that. And um, thank you for this hey, opportunity. No worries. Well, I love that. We'll leave that on the world. is an amazing place. Thank you. You have been listening to the Coffee and Conversation podcast, the podcast that celebrates great people making amazing things happen. My thanks again to my guest, Gillian Judson, and also to you for listening. You can discover more about Gillian and her work with ImagineEd at www.educationthatinspires.ca. Until the next time, take care and remember, just get on with it.